You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Father, we look forward to the day when, with endless praise, uh, we will sing your praise. You truly are holy. You are the Alpha and the Omega. We've been singing all of these things. And Father, we've been singing about the cross, the reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished and all we are and all we have because of all that you have done for us. So Lord, now we want to open your word. We're asking God that you would work in us in a special way this morning. Give us a a desire to know you more uh, through your word and to walk uprightly in ways that would bring your glory. So take this time, God, use it for your fame. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Take your seats and uh, get your Bibles out and open them up to uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're beginning a new series entitled Grounded, uh, Living Your Faith in the Real World. And uh, today we want to talk about a message that's called In an Observable Walk. Um, But the overall, the overriding theme is grounded. Grounded. If you take a look in the dictionary, the word grounded means uh, to be stable. Um, to be realistic, to be unpretentious, uh, someone who is grounded, uh, those are the words that would describe them. Now, if you want to take a look at it maybe a little bit from the negative, um, you take a look at the Urban Dictionary, and in the Urban Dictionary, it says the word grounded means to be restricted to your home to not be allowed to partake in certain acts. Uh, For the uh, student who was out and was supposed to be home by a certain time and weren't home on time, and uh, mom and or dad, when they got home, uttered those words, you are grounded. Um, The purpose of that is to get you focused back on right things and keep you from wandering off. Uh, Maybe uh, you've heard the uh, you're going to fly somewhere and you find out that the plane has been grounded. Uh, It's grounded because there's a problem with the plane or it's going to be unsafe to fly. And so we're going to stay right here where we are, where we're going to be safe. So all of those are kind of the concept of being grounded. And, but the idea is to make sure we're in a right place in a right way so that we don't go wandering off and we get a focus onto some right things. And first Thessalonians is a great book uh, to do that uh, for us. It's a great book of much theology. It's also a great book of much encouragement. And uh, we're going to be looking at it uh, for about eight weeks between now and Easter. And I trust it will be a blessing uh, to you as we open God's Word. So you got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to read the full chapter, chapter 1, as we launch into uh, this, ser- this series. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is your holy word that we hold in our hands. And this was a Paul's letter to a group of people who he loved so dearly. And what he wanted to communicate to them, but Lord, uh, probably not as he wrote it, he didn't understand the significance of how you were protecting this and how you would use this word in our church in this day for your glory. So Lord, would you uh, give us ears to listen carefully to your word today, minds to understand it, but then more than that, Lord, that it would move to our hearts, that we would live out these things for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. I'm going to ask Sue to pass me that pointer over there that I forgot to bring up with me. And as soon as I go and get technical, I get all confused. And so, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the background of the things that are really uh, going on here in this book. And in verse 1, and we're just going to walk through the text this morning, but in verse 1 it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And so this was a, a letter that Paul is writing to this church. This is probably the first letter uh, that he writes um, of all the ones we have in the New Testament. This one's right near the top, if not uh, the very first one that he writes. But Paul is not a lone ranger. He serves together with others. And is in this book, we see uh, two other characters introduced, uh, Silvanus and Timothy. Um, Silvanus is known also as Silas. And if you uh, look him up in Acts 17, um, you will find out that name as well. But Paul preferred this uh, name for him. Uh, Silvanus was with Paul as he traveled on the second missionary journey. Uh, that's where this is happening, this uh, text. And uh, they've just come from a, a place uh, in Philippi where they ended up in prison. And uh, Silvanus was with him there. And they got turfed out of there. And they moved down to Thessalonica uh, where they're presenting the gospel. Eventually they get turfed out of there as well. And uh, so for those of you who have heard the stories about, you know, you trust Jesus, everything's going to be fine. You just read the book of Acts and we find out what the Christian life is really calling us to, and, uh, but God's provision and care for them. And so this man, Silvanus, was with him, and, and then and Timothy. And Timothy was a trusted companion who was an associate of Paul and was with him on many of the missionary trips um, that he went on. Uh, but we have this church. I've got a map that they're going to put, which is why I needed this, and so I could push the button and go. So up in northern part of Greece, uh, we have Philippi. That's where uh, Paul was in, in Acts chapter 16. After they get kicked out of there, they move down to Thessalonica. And uh, so that's where this story happens. That's where this text comes. It's a city that might have had upwards of 100,000 people in it. And um, the story of this church is actually found in Acts chapter 17. Uh, so you're not going to go there today. We don't have time for that. But when you get home today, uh, write that down. Go back and just read Acts 17 around verses 1 to 9. And it'll tell you the story of them going to this church. They've been in Philippi. 
Um, they're thrown into prison. That's when the earthquake happens, you remember? And the jailer gets saved and his family and they get baptized. And Well, then they get run out of town there because they're preaching the gospel. And they move down to Thessalonica. And they come to Thessalonica and for three weeks, it says in the text, Paul's ministry to this church, planting this church, was exactly three weeks long. And then he gets run out of this town because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something good for us to see and remember in all this is when, when you're about God and when you're about his word, you're going to come up against resistance all of the time. If there's no resistance in your life right now, it's probably because there's really nothing being demonstrated in your life that somebody needs to be resistant to. And so they send him on his way. And if you read through uh, the rest of Acts, you'll find the places that he goes. And eventually he ends up in Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, it's believed, is when he writes this letter. He's had this brief opportunity with these people. He shared the gospel with them. This fledgling church is growing. And now he wants to write a letter to them because he's concerned for them. He's concerned about some things that he's heard or wondered about and I don't know, maybe, the, maybe Satan was working in his heart, causing him to doubt. And, but Paul, but uh, Silvanus and Timothy bring him a report, and he rejoices in the report that he's had. And so we come now to the instruction that comes to them in this book that's called uh, Thessalonians. And so a number of things I want to draw out of the text. Um, as you think about these people that he's writing to, here's the first one. The first one is character matters. Character matters matters. We live in a world where character doesn't seem to matter anymore. Uh, everybody just does that which is right in their own eyes. Uh, but character, it matters. Look at verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then look at this. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Now, those are three great principles, three great character traits that uh, we would want to have in our lives, in our walk. And, and Paul saw these three things in them, um, and he's pretty excited as he sees them. But in this text, he says, we don't cease, we don't stop praying for you. Um, Paul was excited for them, and his excitement for them caused him to pray for them. But, but these weren't perfect people. I think sometimes we, we think, you know, Paul's like, yeah, I just prayed for them. They were amazing. And I was also awesome. And everything that was going on. Now, these people had some hang-ups. They weren't perfect people. And so when you look around you, the people in your small group, the people that you minister with, it's so easy to get frustrated sometimes and, and not spend time praying for people. Remembering if we just took a mirror and held it up and looked at ourselves, we'd realize how messed up we are and how thankful we should be that people would pray for us. But um, he prayed for them. He prayed for them despite the fact that uh, they didn't think so highly of him all of the time. And later on in the book, he defends himself and his, his character against slander and false accusations. Uh, he prayed for them even though they weren't morally impeccable. We're going to see where he challenges them in sexual immorality and things that were happening in the church. Um, he prayed for them um, even though they weren't completely accurate in their doctrine. They hadn't figured it all out. And so when you deal with people in your small group or deal with people in our church and they're not perfect people, you just keep praying for them and you just keep praying for them. And I love that his excitement, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. But then he goes on and he talks about these three that I'll call character traits that uh, he sees in them. 
He sees their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. Um, three things, three virtues. The first one is uh, their faith. Their faith produced work. Their faith produced work. You remember in the book of James it says, faith without works is dead. We don't work to get faith, but because of our faith, we work. Right? You don't work to get faith. You don't work to get salvation. Uh, that was all a gift from God, and faith comes from the Lord. But when we have this characteristic of faith in our life, it leads to work, it leads to serving, it leads to giving out. And Paul saw that in them, and despite the things they needed to work on and grow in, he was excited about this for them. And so he prayed for them because they had faith that was working. Is your faith working? Is your faith working in your ability to trust the Lord to speak to your neighbor or your coworker? Is your faith working where your faith in Christ causes you to, I need to get up and I need to be serving somewhere? Their, their faith brought them to, to do work. The second thing it talks about them is their labor, that um, their love produced labor. Um, they loved the Lord. They loved each other. And as a result of that, they worked uh, the Greek word for this was uh, toiling that is strenuous, toiling that is sweat producing. That's the kind of work they did. Why? Because of their love, their love for the Lord and their love for each other. It caused them to want to get out there now and labor for Christ. That was their passion. That was their heart. And Paul saw this in them and he prays for them and he prays for them. In Revelation 2, 2 and 3, it says, uh, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. Now you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Lord, would that be the story of my life? Would that be the story of our lives, that we are people who out of our faith we work out of our love. We labor even though it's hard work. We don't give up and we don't quit working to the point of toiling, even sweating because of, because of who God is and what he has done for us. And then the third character uh, trait here is um, they would have hope that would endure. Your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope your steadfastness of hope, it, it speaks of not giving up and enduring. Romans 5, 2-4 says, Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And their hope caused them to endure their hope caused them not to give up. And our hope in Jesus Christ would be the thing that causes us not to give up on a, on a family member who's gone sideways in their faith or someone who's never trusted Christ. And we have hope, and so we don't give up. And the hope we have is a hope of eternal life, the hope of being with God forever. And we have this hope, and so we don't give up. We don't quit. And Paul saw these three, these three character traits in them, and 
He loved those things, and it caused him to pray for them. Well, how are those three things working out in your life? How is faith that produces work and love that produces labor and endurance that's coming out of your hope? Maybe that's why you came to church today, was just to hear this and, and to, to understand it's a new year, it's time for a new start, I need to get a new focus. Um, they were people and their character, it mattered. Now here's the next thing we see in the text was that Christ was their foundation. A Christ is their foundation. In uh, verses 4 and 5 it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Um, God's choosing of his people is all over Scripture. And that's really not the point of the message today. The point of the message today is not about election or choosing or predestination. I, I believe those are biblical principles that are true. And if God is God and he is sovereign and understands all things and controls all things, who knows the beginning from the end, I have no problem understanding that. I also stand to understand I have a responsibility to respond. But for them, that's not the purpose of this verse. The purpose of this verse was to understand your choice choosing. God chose you. Why? Because the people who we love, we choose them. I choose my family every time. Why? Because I love them. And, and God chose them. And really the point, I believe, of this passage is for them to understand and see the reality of that choosing and how it was demonstrated. So look at some of the words that he uses here as he moves into this. He says, for we know brothers, brothers, that word brothers appears 15 times in this epistle and seven times in 2 Thessalonians. And it speaks of the strong affection that he has for these people. Paul was passionate for this church. He was passionate for these people. To the point where in the two Thessalonian stories, 22 times he calls them brothers, sisters, family. He had a strong affection for them. But in this verse he, verse, he goes on beyond that. He says, for we know brothers loved by God. Now in the English, it doesn't carry the weight that we, we would understand if we heard him say it um, or read it in Greek when he sent it to them because, you know, it's kind of like you could just pass over that quickly. Like, yeah, brothers, it's the church and they're loved by God. Of course they're loved by God, right? But those words loved by God were significant words. Um, they were words that were used of great men. Um, it was a words that were used to describe um, people like Moses. And, uh, and so, so Paul, as he's writing to this group, mostly Gentile believers, he, he gives this greeting, he gives this comment. Um, a great privilege is extended to them when he says, you are beloved by God and that he chose you and that he chose you and he reminds them of that. And then we go on and we see the evidence of how they are chosen. How do you know that you are chosen? Uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how do these verses um, apply to you? It says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, the word gospel there is the word good news. Uh, the good news didn't come just in word only. And Paul uh, brought to them a word. He brought his testimony. He brought his story. But he brought the word to them. And the gospel came to you not only in word 
Not only in word, because lots of people would hear it and deny it and or reject it, but he came in the word, and then it goes on and says, and he came in, in power. It comes to you not only in word, but in power. Power that transformed them from darkness to light. Power that brought them from being enemies to God to being children of God. Remember your own story and how Jesus Christ uh, came in your life and how you came to this intersection in, in your life where God reveals himself to you and the Bible tells us our condition, how we hate God, we don't desire after him, we don't want him and then you got to the place where you surrendered yourself. You said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. That's power. That's power that does that. Because on your own, you would reject God. You would walk away. You would do things on your own, and you would continue to do it today. For our gospel came to you not only in word, but it came in power. Uh, the journey that you're going through in your life right now, and the hard things that you face, and the decisions that you make, and, and then watching God work in his power in your life came not only, the gospel came not only in word, but also in power, and and in the Holy Spirit, so thankful for the working of the Holy Spirit, regenerating us, changing us. If a preacher only speaks or if you only talk to your neighbor and God's Holy Spirit isn't working as the dunamis, as the power, no life change will ever happen. But you've seen that in your own life. I've seen that in my life. That's how they know they were chosen because the word of God came to them. And the word of God came in power. And the word of God came in the Holy Spirit. And it came with full conviction. Now that really speaks to the fact that their lives were changed as a result of this. As a result of this intersection they had with God. As a result of this meeting with the Lord. They were changed. Have you been changed? Have you come to the place where that intersection, that that meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, that I understand what he did for me. I understand that I was separated from God. I had no hope. I had no desire to even know God. And now I've got this burning in my life to know him and figure this out and understand the gospel and how I can know the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come to the place where you've transferred your trust from the things you hope in, the things you desire, and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved is what the Bible says. It's, it's simple. It's faith. But it's difficult because it runs against everything we want to do in trying harder and working harder and making, making ourselves into something. And, and God says, I am your everything. I'm everything you need. As a matter of fact, what you have doesn't come close to meeting the requirement that, that is there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you've never done that, you can trust Christ today. And today you can, you can be saved. Look at the words, the words gospel, the good news, the word, the word, not just Paul's words, but the word of God, the power of God at work through the working of the Holy Spirit. And then for them in much, in much conviction, these people were sold out for Jesus Christ. Not perfect, still working in their sanctification to be more like Christ, but um, much conviction. As you move into this year, as you move into a new year, 
Are your convictions to be a follower of Jesus Christ stronger than they were in 2017? Is your focus on, you know, I was here and I'm growing up and I desire to be like this. I'm pressing on to be like Jesus Christ. Christ was their foundation. As a result, they had an impact. Uh, here's the next point. Community impact is a pattern. Community impact is always a pattern for followers of Jesus Christ. And so how did the Thessalonians demonstrate their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope? How did that demonstrate itself out? And Paul gives them some really practical application illustrations of that in verses 6 to 8. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. A couple things I want to pull out of those verses. Here's the first one. You became imitators. You became imitators, imitators of us and of the Lord. The Thessalonians responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the ways was becoming followers, was becoming imitators. You became followers or imitators of us and the Lord. Imitation says, I want to be like you. That's what imitation says. Imitation says, I want to be like you you. Um, if you're learning to play a sport, um, you usually pick up a person who's your hero and, uh, and, and when you play, you want to be like that. You watch the moves they make. It's, it's interesting. Um, I was watching uh, some Leaf stuff and they're, they're talking about their superstar and how he does this toe drag with the puck before he shoots it. It confuses the goalies and uh, kids all over the place are trying to learn how to do that. They're trying to learn how to imitate Matthews and what he does when he shoots the puck. They want to imitate that. Um, we see it in that illustration. You see it in the, um, the illustration of a child who wants to be like his parents. Um, Mom, I want to be like you. I want to be able to do this. Or, Dad, I want to be able to do that. I want to be like you. And they imitate us. And remember, um, I, have, uh, I have two older brothers, an older sister, and then I have a younger sister. But my brother who's next to me, I can remember from time to time, he wasn't a terrible child, but, you know, Worse than me, but not a terrible child. And um, from time to time, he would need to be disciplined. And uh, I can remember, I can remember times when my mom would be sitting him down and like giving him lecture 22B. She had a whole series of lectures for us. And lecture 22B is to why we needed to obey or whatever that thing was she needed to do. And she'd be like doing her thing. And, and I'm the, his little brother and I'm, I'm behind her. And if she's doing her thing, I'm behind her doing her thing. Okay? Now, I knew I was getting a beating from him when it was over. But at the time, it seemed like a good idea to me, right? I'm going to imitate her. I'm going to do what she does. And, um, well, that's the idea of this. That's this idea of imitators is, is to mimic, is to do the things that you see. And, and Paul says, you became imitators of us. Uh, we came and we lived amongst you. We tried to be faithful and tried to be an example. And you found us as, a, as someone you could imitate. And that's what you did. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, you became imitators of us and the Lord. 
Because Paul really wasn't saying, be a follower of me. He wasn't creating a cult for himself. He said, as I live out Jesus Christ, you watch that in my life, and you do that. You do that. Um, he puts that out in Scripture in a couple of places. In Philippians 3.17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. And so the whole goal here wasn't that we had a bunch of Pauls running around. We had a bunch of Jesuses running around. Be an imitator. I was at a wedding, Sue and I, a couple of weeks ago, and we were sitting with some folks, and one of the guys who was at our table is getting married in the next little while, and he asked me a great question. I wish everybody would ask this question as guys. Uh, he said, uh, how do I lead my wife? That's a great question to ask as you're getting ready to get married and not like three years in to your marriage. How do I lead my wife? Right? And it would have been easy to say, well, you know, there's, here's a couple of good books. Keller's written some good stuff, and Piper's written some great stuff, and that's all true. We need to, all of those are great resources for us. Um, uh, what I said to him was, um, find someone who can be, uh, you can imitate. Find someone who you can imitate. Um, understand they're not going to be perfect in what they do, but you see them, and you respect them, and you can learn from them, and you can talk to them, and, and then you imitate, you do the things that they do. Um, who are you imitating? Who do you have as a, as a mentor, uh, someone who disciples you, uh, someone who you put your eyes on and you watch? Um, uh, people watch the pastor from a distance. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we're going to come to the second part of this in a moment, but but who do you have um, in your small group or in your relationship? And, and, and you can go to that person and you can ask them the questions. And, and you're like, I, I've seen this in your life. I see this with you and your wife. And I see this in your walk. And, and I need to do that. And who do, you, who do you imitate? It was a good thing for them. It was a right thing for them that uh, they would find people that uh, they would imitate. And so be followers of us, imitators of us, and of the Lord. Ultimately, ultimately, we want to follow people who are following Jesus. And, and as they set the example for us, we want to live that out. And we always want to be in the book and learning the WWJD thing, which sometimes we make fun of today. It's like, that's a principle right out of this in Scripture. What would Jesus do? And so find out what, what people who are godly people are doing and why do they do that? And what does the Word of God say? And why will I do that? Um, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And then it talks about the condition that they were living in, in spite of affliction. In spite of affliction. Now that's what the text says, for you receive the word in much affliction. Paul's just been kicked out of Philippi. He's just been kicked out of Thessalonica. He's writing from Corinth, which was no simple piece of work, and there was this affliction that was going on. Well, this church that he left in, in Acts 17, um, after they couldn't find Paul because he'd left the city, they bring this guy Jason out. In Acts 17, 6, it talks about um, the people who've turned the world upside down have come here as well. Um, See, the people who weren't following Christ were very offended by what was being done, and they were very upset about what was being done. And This church was under affliction. 
And Paul says when it's hard, when it's hard, that's the time you lean in on other people. When it's difficult, that's when you lean in. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, uh, when, it, when it talks about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, uh, that's because they were living in hard times. We use that verse so often. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. And it's true. But it's more true we understand the Hebrews were under affliction. And so you'd get to Sunday morning. It's like if we go to church, there's going to be grief. Our family's going to be all over us. I might get kicked out of the house again. And all this stuff is going on. And Paul says, let's lean in time, not lean out time. Find the people to imitate. The word uh, great affliction is a word that was used when they were making wine. And they took the grapes and the pressure that was put on the grape that would be required to make it burst. So that's the picture. They got it when it says, oh my goodness, it's the kind of pressure that blows things up. It says, you became imitators of us. You found someone to follow. You found an example in us and in Jesus Christ to help you through the difficult time. As a follower of Christ, when you go through the difficult time, and if you're not right now, you will. Where are you leaning? Who's your example? And how are your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. So that's one of the things we see in this part of the text. And then not only did they um, find people to imitate, in verse 7 it goes on to says that they became examples. You were imitators. Then in verse 7, so that you became an example. And you became an example. Now I like the idea. I like the idea. Find somebody who you can be like and try and be like them. But here's the outcome. The outcome of that is people start to follow you. People start to look at you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, people are looking at you. What kind of an example of the Lord Jesus Christ do they see when they see, when they see you? This is not an optional thing. This is something that happens automatically. Just as children watch their parents and want to be like them, um, it's who you become if you're a follower of Christ. So not only were they imitators, that was a great thing, but then they became examples. Um, we see that in our, like in my ministry, I'm a public person, I'm in front, and, and people encourage us often about, you know, how they see us and our example, and, and we know how imperfect we are, but God uses that, and, but we all have that at some level, all of us are to be examples, whether it's to your kids or your co-workers or uh, to your neighbor. How, how are you exemplifying the Lord Jesus Christ? How's that working out for you? What does that look like? It says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. Let's put the map back up if we could. And uh, so we have this church, and uh, Paul gets kicked out of Philippi. He goes down to Thessalonica. Eventually, he's turfed out of there. But then in the text here, it says, now you became an example um, to all who are in Macedonia and Achaia. So you'll see, if I get the button to work again, um, you see here's Macedonia, and then down here is Achaia. Okay, now those were like, to compare it to Canada, those were two provinces. And so the word from you is now going out, not just in your little city. The influence you're having is happening right in the greater area of, of Greece. Things are happening and people are seeing your example and it's happening now beyond what you probably ever thought it happened. You're being an example. Verse 8 says, for from, from you 
the word of the Lord has sounded forth. From you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. That word sounded forth means a loud ringing sound as of a, as of a trumpet blast. The way you're living, the example you're living is like a trumpet blast out there so the world can see who Jesus Christ is. Your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. See that? We don't even need to say anything. Your example is such that when we get to a place, we go there and we knock on the door and we mention the Thessalonians and they go, oh, yeah, we've heard about the Thessalonians. That's amazing what happened with them and, and their story and the Word of God and how they're trying to live for Christ. And, and he goes, we can't even add anything to your story because people are already hearing your story. How's that working out in my story? How's that working out in your story? When your name comes up in a conversation, there's the conversation around, yeah, that person's a follower of Christ. The world won't look at that positively for sure. But do people even talk about your relationship with Christ? And for followers of Jesus Christ, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. That's amazing what God's doing in his life. And they tell the story, and the guy who brought it up is like, I, I can't even add anything to that story. Because they're being an example. And the word of God is sounding forth. And people are hearing the story. And that was the story of this young church, young believers. And it should be our story too. For from you sounded forth the word. For from you sounded forth the word. See, there's no excuse. You might think, well, I've only been a follower of Jesus Christ for two, three months, less than a year. That was this church. And yet from them, the word was sounding forth. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ for years and years and years, when people talk about you, do they talk about Christ? For from you sounded forth the Lord. It doesn't always have to be in organized things. It can be in very uh, personal things. I was uh, talking to uh, Mike Fenty uh, this week, and uh, Mike Fenty comes to our church, and uh, he's been involved in a ministry it's not a ministry of our church. You won't find it in our structure. You won't find a budget line for it. It's called Testify Tuesday. There's a small group of people from our church and from other churches who on Tuesdays, they go up to the mall and they seek opportunity to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So they've been doing it for five years. I'm not aware of anybody who's actually come to our church or is sitting here today as a result of Testify Tuesday. But I know this, most people go up there because they want to sound forth the word of the Lord. It was so exciting for me to remi be reminded of that because I remember the guy who kind of was the spearhead to get that started five years ago. His name was Tony Chuang. Tony Chuang came to our church. He now lives down in Chicago uh, with his wife. They have a baby in ministry down there and so thankful what God has done and so faithful, those guys. So faithful. Not looking for great accolades, not looking for their story to be told. They just want to be right before the Lord. They want to sound forth the word of the Lord. They want to be an example. In Acts 17, the story of this church, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. Anybody saying that about you? Anybody saying that about me? 
Anybody saying that about our church? I think there are times when it is being said about all those things. My purpose isn't to, to discourage us today, but to encourage us to find people to imitate and then to be an example. Um, here's the last thing we want to see. Convictions give hope to others. Convictions give hope to others. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. And so these people had their convictions. They had their things they stood for. Uh, some of the things it says that they did, it says they turned from idols. The things they had trusted in before were, were fell so far short, their eyes aren't on those things anymore. You turned uh, from idols to serve the living and true God. Their conviction was we're putting Christ on the throne in our lives. And best we can as we grow up in Christ, we're going to serve him to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. They were looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, Paul writes this letter. We're going to see it later on in the letter because some of them thought maybe they'd miss the return of Christ. And he, has to get, he gets that fixed for them. But, but in this text, as we understand it, their motivation was we're waiting for his son from heaven, the one who is raised from the dead, and the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, they had convictions. They knew what they were about. They knew what they stood for, and then they went for it in their lives. And their convictions that they had was a great encouragement to the people who were around them. I'm glad to be the pastor of a church that has convictions about some things and some commitments that we make to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. That's our mission statement. That works its way out in our pillars, the four pillars and the three W's. We're part of a, a church planting movement uh, called the Great Commission Collective. And our pillars and W's are all folded into that, but these are convictions that we have. And it's interesting when I talk to other guys and other pastors, so often they go like, what's the secret in your church? Well, it's not the good looks of the pastor, that's for sure. So what is it that makes the difference? God's working in our church. We're committed to some things. We're committed to bold preaching and fervent prayer and passionate worship. We're, com we're committed to courageous evangelism. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Now, he is the only way. We're committed to making disciples. That's the three W's in our church. And, and we're committed to strategic church planting. Those are the things we're about. Those are, are convictions that we have. And as a result of those convictions, I believe it gives people who come to our church hope. But people who watch us and ask the question, it gives, them, it gives us an opportunity to give them the reason of the hope that is in us. And uh, so as a church, we have those things. What are, what are your convictions as a follower of Jesus Christ? What do you stand for? How important is the word and prayer? And how important is worship and evangelism? How important is growing up in Christ and being part of uh, reproducing ourselves? These, these were things that were a great uh, hope and encouragement in their church and should be as ours in ours as well. And so that the convictions of our church bring hope to others. I think they do. I hope they do. We desire that they do. And do your convictions give hope to others as well? The things that you stand for, are they bringing people to hope? Um, well, so what? So what? What was said about the church in Thessalonica, could it be said about our church? The things that were said about um, their day, 
same principles, except the geography is different, but it's the same truth. Could it be said about our church? Could it be said about you? If not, why not? And what are we going to do about it today? You know, I took the text that we read at the beginning, verses 1 to 10, and I, I more personalized them for us. Took it out of the context of Thessalonica and put it in the context of Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, and in the context for my life and your life. And so listen to this again and ask yourself, how is my walk, my grounded walk, lining up with what the Lord would have for me? We've been watching you and give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work of faith. You trust the Lord in all you do and your labor of love. You do it not looking for credit. You just love us. And steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, you always keep your eyes on Jesus. For we know that you are loved by God, for he's chosen you because the good news of Jesus Christ came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It changed you. You watched us carefully and you imitated us. But more importantly, you imitated the Lord. For you received the word even when it was hard and when it seemed like it would be too much to bear, you did it with joy that not only comes from the Holy Spirit, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Markham and southern Ontario. For not only has the word of the Lord gone out from you in Markham and southern Ontario, but no matter where we go, when we hear people talk about you, they talk about your faith. So much so that we don't need to add anything. They talk about how you loved us and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and how you are focused on the return of Christ from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of God. Please, God, make that my story. Make that our story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge of it. We thank you for the example of this church, not a perfect church, but a church that was desiring to walk uprightly to bring you glory that brought great joy to Paul and uh, Sylvanus and Timothy as they prayed for them. Lord, would the things that we've learned about them, would those things be the things that are in our lives and the, the uh, correction that we've needed today, would you bring that? lovingly through your truth, the rebuke maybe we needed to hear, Lord, that we'd respond according to your word and not set it aside or let anger get a root in us. And for the encouragement that we have from your word, would we continue to walk uprightly for the fame of our Savior. And Lord, I pray for the person who's here today who's never trusted Christ, that they would understand that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is the only way we can be grounded in a messed up world. Lord, bring them to that place of turning and repentance and faith and following Christ. For the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.